0: listening to episode 28, chapter 3 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris
1: Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow
0: today in the everyday moments of life. Andre Snavely is passionate about reaching the lost with Spirit-empowered training, resourcing, and equipping for Acts 1-8 Ministries. As an author, missionary, and theologian, Dr. Snavely and his wife, Darla, have been in ministry together for nearly 30 years, serving in pastoral ministry and as a professor of Bible, theology, and ministry at Central Bible College and Global University. They currently live in Brussels, Belgium, where Dr. Snavely serves as professor of theology at Continental Theological Seminary, and Darla serves with Breaking Chains, a ministry that helps women escape prostitution. His book, Life in the Spirit, explores what the church would look like if Christians saw their lives as totally dependent on the Spirit's presence, to live as Jesus lived. Have you ever thought about why God gave us marriage? In scripture, it's one of the most
1: used analogies for his love and relationship with the church. But perhaps it's more than an analogy. Maybe our marriages should actually be a reflection of God's own Trinitarian nature. So we wanted to ask Dr. Snavely how a spirit Christology affects our marriages. And although there is still a lot of work to do on how we flesh this out in our lives, spirit Christology becomes very practical as it gives us a clear demonstration of what submission and love
2: for one another looks like.
0: How would you apply spirit Christology to marriage?
2: That is actually a paragraph at the end of my book that I make an implication for the Trinitarian aspect of this. And, you know, I almost went into it, too, when you talked about relationality, relationships. Um, I believe that there's such a confusion today, and and now you have the issue of, is, is male and female? Is it complementarian, or is it egalitarian? And you have these different camps, and... I'm I'm yet to really develop this in my own uh, writing and research, which I really want to do someday. and I think I'll have an opportunity uh, in the next couple of years to at least write an article if nothing you know maybe something even longer. But uh, I believe that um, a again, a biblical theology can be developed that begins with... What God says in Genesis 1, uh, what is it, 26 and 27? Uh, Let us make man in our image, um, male and female. He created them. Mm-hmm. Now, most Old Testament scholars will say that that is not exactly Trinitarian language, but that it's like the, um, what, the um,
0: Divine Council.
2: The Divine Council, that's right. The um, Royal We. The, yeah, the Royal, the way. royal it's We. It's mentioned yeah. other places. Um, and so, but I think when you um, look at it in a uh, in its larger biblical narrative understanding, you can see how that male and female are designed by God for a specific purpose, not only for procreation, but I think as um, as the furtherance maybe, or the, uh, the instilling into humanity, this relationality between, um, I hate to even use the, the terms, but we're kind of stuck with terms sometimes <laughs> that we, we can't find a better word to use.
0: That's we have to define them. Right.
2: <laughs> but for like, uh, we have it all through society. It's all through history. It's always going to exist. Now in the West, we've tried to, to strip authority from everything. In fact, you could say that the very basis of Western culture is, since the Enlightenment, is is anti-authoritarianism. But you can't get away from, if you say the Father is the one who begets the Son, and the Son is eternally begotten from the Father, you cannot separate the fact that God is still, the Father is still the authority, and the Son is still the submissive one. So, and you can't really get away from it in... Uh, what is it, Colossians 3 and Ephesians um, 5, that um, there's this, in Paul's understanding, of the husband and the wife, that one, the male is the authority and the wife is the submissive one. Well, um, we don't even like those terms today. So for my future, I would like to really kind of... um, write something that explains those in such a way that kind of takes the bite out of them, because I think that there's something about the roles of male and female, husband and wife, that you can't just eliminate them completely and say that, um, you know, they always say, well, Paul says there's no male or female. Well, but at the same time, you put that in Paul's overall context of all of his theology, and he's obviously not saying that God did away with genders. Mm-hmm. And you even can't even get away from the fact that in a lot of other Paul's writings, there's roles for men and there's mm-hmm. roles for women. And right. he properly distinguishes between the two and defines them and puts parameters on them and, and all of that. So uh, there has to be something more to this, and I but I really think... That it's in this relation, this reciprocal relationality to where the one who is an authority, like Paul says, the the husband is, again, example prototype is Jesus Christ himself that gave up his life for the church, and the wife is compared to the church, the br- the bride and the bridegroom. and, um, the bride, being Jesus Christ, is the one who the the man, the male, emulates his life, and so his role as a leader, his is a sacrificial leadership in the family. Nowhere does Paul give um, any, even a hint, mm. of the husband being able to say he's the authority. And things have to go his way because he's the husband in a domineering way. Mm-hmm. In fact, he reverses it. Mm-hmm. He says that the the husband is supposed to give his life for the wife and not to exasperate the children to wrath, to be harsh with them, to be abusive to the children. Um, so... Which is absolutely contrary to the Roman culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. you talk about Paul going otherworldly and anti cultural, you know, and so here today, what's so confusing to a lot of people is that that's not understood in its proper context. And so uh, there's much work to do in that. But on the other hand, I think that a wife. What wife would not want to um, respect and honor a a man who's giving his life for her and the children? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what security, uh, provision, protection, that's the kind of, I think that's the kind of husband and father that our culture, our church, uh, Christians really need to begin looking at. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, that well, one kind of been a message. I've been sh-
0: chewing on it <clears throat> since I got married now almost 11 years ago. Um, was really as um uh, kind of like a demonstration. Like I I like, mm-hmm. I'm, I've been chewing on the idea of marriage as a demonstration of the story of how God works. <laughs> um, yes. We've got this picture of God the Father. Having um, authority, the mm-hmm. son submitting to that authority, and yet at the same time, afterward, after the son has submitted to the father, the father puts all authority on the son and allows the son exactly. to, to do that. And so, like you're saying, it's that real reciprocal, this is just a, a back and forth thing about <sighs> submission one to the other.
2: Right, back to the Kenosis pass, Kenosis passes in a Um, I've been talking too long here. Uh, (laughs) Kenosis (laughs) passes in Ephesians 2. Philippians Philippians 2, I'm sorry. What happens at the end? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that at that name every knee shall bow. So again, it's this narrative more than it is the abstract. And so I think you see this lived out in marriage so that, again, it's not like it happens at the wedding vows, you know, and then it's set, and then it's done, <laughs> but it uh, as we all know yes, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right, but it's it's actually worked out in our reciprocal relationships with each other as husband and wife, and so yeah, I think um and even um what does Paul say? The husband is the crown you know of. The wife and the wife- basically the crown of the husband, yeah, you know, in other words, and i've I can notice this in my own life, and even more, I mean good night, oh, we just celebrated our thirtieth wedding anniversary last week congrats, yeah, thank you, and uh more congratulations to my wife actually for <laughs> putting up with me for thirty years <laughs> but um but yet, um, where was I going with that? I just lost my train of thought there, but um. The wife is the crown to the husband. Exactly, because I see now that in our in our ministry together, as we uh, I have understood it too, and this goes back even to uh, people not knowing exactly how to relate the Trinity to the marriage, is that the marriage itself is almost like the third person. Now Augustine said the Spirit was the unity between the Father and the Spirit. But, um, I think, well, obviously the spirit has his own identity too, as the third person of the Trinity. But if you apply that to marriage, then it's almost as though, um, my reciprocal relationship with my wife has its own identity Mm -hmm. that if I would, um, breach the deal, if I would, you know, if I would not fulfill my end of the bargain, then something is damaged. That is, I don't know. I hate to say it's irreparable, but um, that it might it doesn't be, leave it the same. It doesn't ever be the same, yep. right after that. And so there has to be something said to that because maybe that's a damage to the spirit. You know, like mm-hmm. and, e- and even and even. You know, we think about the unpardonable sin against the Spirit. Uh, I don't know what the implications would be there, but um, I think that the Spirit is grieved when Jesus' Lordship is not um, lived out in our lives. And I think we can grieve the Holy Spirit to a point where um, the Spirit's work in our lives is is forever damaged. We see that in people's lives, too, where um, they allow something to come in, And over a period of years, the Spirit's work of um, keeping them and sustaining them is pushed aside and pushed aside to where uh, they just fall away from Christ. And I think that can happen um, as a mirror, as the marriage is a mirror of the Trinity, then I think um, we see that in marriages too, that uh, when things are done that damage the marriage, then it seems like that third person that marries itself as its own identity begins to suffer uh, irreparable damage to where uh, it it just takes a miracle of God to... Not that God can't do it, because God has done that too. Mm -hmm, (laughs) But I don't want to, you know, that doesn't have to be that way.
0: God loves to use analogies to communicate with us. When we call Him Father, it's a way for us to understand who He is And Jesus did the same thing with parables. He told stories about things like a farmer who went out to sow seed as a way to illustrate how different people respond to the message of the gospel. In the same way, marriage does this too. It's not just the union between man and woman, but also the union of the couple with God at the center. And the roles in marriage then serve as an illustration, an analogy for the way God works in the Trinity. The husband is called to serve the wife and lay down his life for her, just like Jesus did for the church. And the wife is called to serve the husband and offer her life to him. This is exactly the way Jesus and his father behave. So then marriage is a visible demonstration of this reality that calls us back to God and the way he works and acts. So today I want to challenge you to do something very simple. Serve your spouse. Do something to serve them you don't usually do. And when you do this, you're actively demonstrating the love and submission that Jesus himself showed through the power of the Spirit at work in his life.
1: How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. You can find out more about Andre and Darla's missionary work by clicking the Facebook link in the show notes. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation where Andre unpacks what it really means to become more like Jesus. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.